Hi everyone and welcome to the Learner's Corner Podcast. My name is Caleb and I'm so grateful that you have decided to spend a few minutes of your day here with me in the Learner's Corner. And today I am honored to be joined by Lindsay Medford to talk with her about her brand new book, My Body and Other Crumbling Empires. And the subtitle is Lessons for Healing in a World That is Sick. Now, if this is your first time joining us in the Learner's Corner, or whether or not you've been listening for a while, if you're wanting to continue on the the journey of lifelong learning, please check out my Substack to where I just share all of the different things that I'm learning from, from books to movies to music to podcasts and just all sorts of other things. And again, you could find that in the show notes. Now, one of the things that we tend to do here on the Learner's Corner is, you know, we we cover a lot of things that aren't necessarily talked about. You know, we this is a podcast where we learn from anything and from everything. And today we're going to be learning about and talking about and learning from Lindsay in an area of just it's it's very broad but i would just kind of say health and how and everything that affects our health from uh society to all sorts of different systems and the reason why we engage in this conversation and try to uh try to learn from these things is because these things are affecting us and they're affecting the people that we love but oftentimes they aren't really talked about and so that's why we that's one of the reasons why i started the the learner's corner, you know, however many years ago, is to have conversations like these. So let me tell you a little bit about Lindsay, and then we're going to jump into the interview. Lindsay Medford is a writer, activist, and sometimes disabled person with a rare chronic autoimmune disease. Her writing has been featured in the Deconstructionist's Playbook, Sojourner's 100 Days in Appalachia, The Awakening, and Our Bible App. She holds a Master of Theological Studies from Boston uh, University School of Theology, and she has written the book, which we're going to talk about today, My Body and Other Crumbling Empires. And so without any further wait, here is my conversation with Lindsay. Well, Lindsay, it is so good to have you on the podcast today. Thanks for having me. This is exciting. Yeah. And, you know, just as we're getting started, you know, one of the places that I often love to begin is I love hearing the story behind works of art. And you've written this book, My Body and Other Crumbling Empires. And so I would just love um, to just kind of hear how did this how did this book come about and kind of what was your origin story for the book? Sure. I, well, the book is a story. It's a, it's kind of, I call it a research memoir. So it's a story of how I was on the normal, what I think of as a normal 26 year old uh, professional class lady track at 26 and uh, planning to become a, to go conquer academia in the next uh, you know, however many years I had it all laid out. And then I, um, my childhood autoimmune disease came back and I was re-diagnosed and, and kind of put all of that to a halt. And I became a person who's like full-time job for a little while and part-time job still now is to uh, be a caretaker of myself. 
And um, so the book is a story of how I um, started to try and deal with that and then realized I was going to have to like really participate in my own healing if I wanted to have stand much of a chance of getting better because what doctors had to offer me right off the bat when I was kind of waiting for them to make me better was not working for me and my body. And so in the process of learning what it was that my body needed through like a combination of research and just straight up experimentation, I also started to realize I was coming to learn more about how we heal the world around us as well and how that healing process either for individually or collectively often looks different than we expect. Um, and so there was, to tell you the story behind this book in particular, um, there was a moment and I had just been learning about all of these different things, food and even community and um, potential toxic environment, all kinds of different things that can potentially affect our bodies and all the really complex interlocking systems of them. Uh, I had just been learning about all of this when I, we, my husband and dog and I had to evacuate from coastal South Carolina for Hurricane Irma. And I was watching this a totally different, like super complex natural system that had been, uh, had been overloaded doing what doing its very best to hurricanes are part of the natural environment but Irma was enormous it was uh, and because of that it was incredibly unpredictable and it was one of several hurricanes we've had lately in South Carolina they're starting to go farther north in the Atlantic Ocean all of this is because of climate change. And so this system, in one way, hurricanes have always been a part of Earth. <laughs> in another way, there are systems that are getting overloaded and doing weird things and turning extra super destructive and overwhelming our ability to deal with their destruction because of the wider context of what's going into them and these uh, even totally unintentional, of course, um, things in the world are going into this system and making it go haywire. And so I felt like I was watching my immune system uh, also doing, in a lot of ways, what it was supposed to be doing, the best it kind of knows how, and having all these unintended and disastrous effects um but also understanding that that was not just a defect in the system itself but also in the ways that that system all the other ones that it is also a part of mm -hmm. yeah. so that it's image also, stayed yeah. with me went throughout writing the book yeah you know there's there's and again i've i loved going your book because there's there's so many and i mean this in the best way complexities and nuances 
in it that I absolutely love. And there's so much yeah. even just in there that, that I want to touch on. Um, I'm going to go mm-hmm. back to whenever you mentioned your autoimmune disease and just like, take me to the moment because whether it's, whether it's sickness or something, like even just any difficult circumstances, I know that there's a tendency for sure. us to have a struggle to want to accept like our limitations or our like, Hey, this is the reality that we now live in. So take me to that mindset of like, even you just wrestling through that period. And I think I'm sure that even happens today to some degree, because, you know, if you have just a lifelong thing like that, you know, or any challenge, there's good days and bad days, but take me back to that mindset for you. Right. Yeah. Well, when I was a kid, um, I mean, when you are a kid, you're used to going to the doctor and they give you an antibiotic or a Band-Aid and it's, you know, an adult's job to fix you. And by and large, with one of the middle childhood illnesses and stuff, they succeed. That's great. Um, So I had been in remission for 10 years or a little more when this came back in my late 20s. I had almost forgotten about it. And I just went in with that same mindset of like, someone's going to fix me and they're probably going to do a way better job because it's been all this time and research is is like amazing and they'll, they'll know what to do. And they did, I mean, they knew what to do to a very limited extent, which was to give me a bunch of drugs that did not actually turn out to work for me. And, you know, one after the other, after the other, after the other. And uh, meanwhile, I'm just waiting, telling my husband, my new husband, that uh, once we find the right drug, everything will go back to normal. <laughs> and mm-hmm. um, that was not true. It was not true about drugs. And it isn't true about um the ways that I've learned to live a little better with this body, everything is still different. And I still have a lot of limitations. And like you mentioned, things remain incredibly unpredictable. And Mm -hmm. so that acceptance was a huge part of even starting down the path of looking for another way to understand my body and to, to work with it. Um, because I, it took me a long time, and I and I do talk about this in the book a little, a mm-hmm. little bit, to, even to admit, like you're saying, that I was truly sick, that I truly could not keep doing all the things I had done before, all the exercise I had done before, and all the super busy scheduling I had um, always, always done, <laughs> and. Mm-hmm. Um, I I love that you brought that up because I feel like that is such an important first step that we often miss when we are trying to address a problem in an organization or in our, you know, the whole world. Mm-hmm. We our our attempts to fix it are actually an attempt to deny its reality um, mm-hmm. or to pretend that it's containable or comprehensible when it's actually not it's it's ultimately out of our control and there's um there is a lot of freedom and in a lot of ways more agency available to us once we have actually accepted the situation as it is 
Yeah. Talk to me. What do you think is behind that denial? Because again, just with, and again, this isn't the same thing, but you mentioned in your autoimmune disease, I even think about my own self whenever I get sick as well. There is just this such strong tendency (laughs) to just fight through. And it's like, no, I'm not sick. Like, because I feel like I have, you know, I was going to say, I'm asking the question. I kind of of answer it myself, I guess, but it's like, I feel such a responsibility or at least that's what I tell myself anyway. But I'd love just your take on like, what's behind that denial of, um, of our limits, whether that's for our bodies or, you know, as you mentioned, organizations or anything like that. Well, on a small scale, I think it's totally understandable. I think everybody does it. I think like really tiny kids will do this where they're, you know, it feels easier to be brave. And often we tell little kids to be brave and um, rather than to you know, shake that moment to accept what is. And because who wants to who wants to do that, you know? But um I do I have thought about it a lot. And I do, I also feel there's ultimately, you know, having to accept this on a much accept limitation on a much more intense scale and re reevaluate what my responsibilities are as a human person in the world. I there is a, a thing in us that wants to be infinite. <laughs> um, we, we all, I think we all do this unconsciously. Maybe, maybe it's just in the U.S. Like, I don't know. That's the means of my culture. But I, I think it is a shared human experience to just keep wishing we could do it all I you know I'm looking at your books behind you on the video I have mine here how how many of us have ever had that experience of walking in a library and feeling panic that we can never read all the books yeah (laughs) um and I don't know I don't know where that comes from but um it's it's one of those existential crises we all have to sort of confront eventually but and those have a lot of power to arrange our lives and make things happen and just find the tools to keep doing more and more we don't have to confront that often for until later in life um but eventually we all run up against either if we don't if we don't find a way to stop something will stop us right Mm -hmm. Yeah. I want to go back to the freedom that you mentioned that you, that you found through, um, through accepting, through accepting your limits and everything. Can you talk a little bit more about that? Well, as long as, as long as I couldn't, wasn't willing to face the situation as it was and the sheer size of, of this, calamity in my life uh there was only a small set of options available to me you know those options were like go to the doctor take the drugs um put put my life on hold until i could go back to how it used to be and um when i when i sat down and said okay this is this is actually the situation is not that I 
am about to get better next week through the magic of chemistry or whatever. <laughs> um, the situation is very complex and it may require me to reimagine my entire life. That is a moment of grief, like deep grief, of course. Mm -hmm. It's a moment of um, often anger and frustration and it uh, loneliness and depending how long it takes us to get there, any number of other things we have to process. And that is a moment of possibility. When we say the life as I knew it was is gone and I will have to reimagine what I what it is to move forward then we return to a space of rather than fighting against uh what is we're returning to a space of creativity ultimately um I'm thinking of just for example how much possibility opens up when we get over like repeating how hard it is to ask for help and just learn to ask for help. Um, that's not simple. It's uh, not, there's a, there's a lot of complexity just there. And once we figure out how to build a support network and, and help other people find, find ways to, for there to be mutuality in that. And suddenly so much opens up to us other than what we can accomplish just on our own whether our limitations are extreme or not, you know? Um, mm -hmm. And so that's just one example of the things that become available when we accept that we're not going to go back to how it was. And, and eventually we may find that we don't actually want to go back to how it was. Yeah. You know, w one of the things that came to mind as you were, uh, as we've been talking about limits is at some point we run into somebody who um, they don't embrace limits or they don't understand that you're setting boundaries or limits or whatever it is. What have you learned about um, just talking with people or even just like setting your own limits or just clearly communicating like, no, this is my, this is my limit and like dealing with people who may not accept that. Hmm. I've been really fortunate that if, if people, close to me were not willing to accept my limitations they just dropped off the map and yeah uh, i think most people with a chronic illness or a disability <clears throat> experience that yeah um but what what i what you what it does bring to mind is that i've uh been involved in a lot of nonprofit and church work mm -hmm. and that's another place where yeah um we could be doing a lot more by accepting our limitations than by trying to address every every problem or desire with adding more well the yeah. amount of resources stays the same and um one way one way we overload our resources is by overloading our people um mm -hmm. and there's you know i think there's um i think it's another thing to ex that we just have to accept is that people are gonna uh appreciate us operating out of the best of what we have to give or they're not gonna appreciate it at all <laughs> and 
Um, maybe that's not a place that's just for us anymore. Um, and if, if it is accepted, well, then again, that opens up a space of creativity. Who else can we bring into this? What other tools can we use to make this happen? Or, and what tools can we use to evaluate whether it really needs to happen or not? Um, and so I, one, I, I like thinking of that those boundary setting conversations as spaces of imagination. If people are willing to accept, okay, you have you have these limitations in the first place, then we can say, okay, so the the matrix of what we're working with has changed and what's gonna need to change around us to going forward. Mm -hmm. You know, uh Go, going back to the book, you have um, this quote in there that I that I want to ask you about, which is about, um, you know, what you intended the book to be and what the book actually ended up becoming. Mm -hmm. And so you write, when I first imagined writing this book, it was a book about the many evils I had to unlearn in order to heal with the disease caused by disorders that afflict us. And I was just wondering if you could just kind of take us into that moment and when you realized that okay, that can't, that can't be the book. That isn't the book that I'm trying to write. Can you take me to that moment and kind of what happened after that? Yeah, well, it was, it started, I don't know if there was a moment. It was just as I was writing, I started, mm. this started to unfold and, um, you know, also come out and it was like, am I going to pretend that this is coming out sideways or am I just going to let it, you know, let this thing start to shape itself a little bit? And um, I think a lot of it was as I was thinking about, you know, what is it that I want people to understand about the wisdom of people with chronic illness? And I, mm -hmm. as I kept coming back to that question, it was not just like the healthcare system is bad, life is hard. <laughs> it was also, um, we, we have all these, the people around me disabled and chronically ill people around me I'm just watching them do such creative things and build such interesting and deeply connected and mutually helpful communities I'm watching us like navigate a world that's feel like it's against us and that's you know that's an experience that so many people share and and again then coming back to this question of systems also we you know we don't all see ourselves as individual tragedies we mm -hmm. have readjusted our lives and found new ways to carry on as people and found often found new ways to define ourselves and those are all skills we all need at different mm -hmm. times in our life and again skills that we all need in order to cope with the larger systems that we're living within as well. Mm -hmm. You know, I, and again, this is, an, this is another quote, which I absolutely love from your book. And it's, it's your definition of health. You say health is when you don't have to think about your health. And I thought that is so true because it's only when you're, at least for me, it's only when I'm sick to where I'm like, Oh, if I could only be healthy, but otherwise I feel like I'd take it for granted in that. Mm -hmm. Um, I'd love to hear whenever whenever it comes to um, health, what are some of the the underappreciated or things that um, that maybe we do take for granted 
about health, just as you, you know, as, as you've gone about life and just done some of your research and stuff. Hmm. Yeah, I, well, that was my, my previous definition of, you know, I had a very kind of delineated concept of like, you're healthy or you're not healthy. Mm-hmm. And now that I am try like living with a chronic illness, I, I don't expect necessarily that there's ever going to be a time when I'm not sick, mm-hmm. but I also don't think of myself as unhealthy either. Um, and so when, when you're young, when you, um, have access to a lot of resources to stay healthy, uh, the also things we take for granted, um, it can be, it can be hard to think of health as something that we maintain or that depends upon anything outside of ourselves and and when our bodies aren't working for us properly then we kind of get mad at them and call them broken and um when you know the what i want to say is that we don't think about health is that it's so deeply connected to everything around us um are, and this is all, these are all things that science is very quickly gathering more and more information about that our health is connected to the health of the people around us. Our physical health is connected to our mental and spiritual health. Our health obviously is connected to the health of the water and the land and the air that surround that we, that we take in. And uh, again, that we don't even think of as being a part of ourselves and us a part of it, but it's just, like very materially is. Um, and these are things that like Eastern and indigenous systems of medicine have always said, have always, mm-hmm. as much as they are not a part of our thinking and our worldview, they're they're taken for granted in these other cultures. And so... Um, I think it is really hard to maintain a sense of that if you, if it doesn't get in your way, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, but it's there. And the, and I think the more that we attend to our communities or our environment, like our um, ecology and environment, where wherever we're called to attend, we can start to notice those connections whether whether or not you're currently sick mm-hmm. yeah talk to me about a way that you wish more people or talk to, talk to me about something that affects our health that you wish more people knew about or understood more or appreciated more um, well there's a chapter in the book about loneliness and community that i sort of um the debated on whether to include because it feels very amorphous and wishy-washy and like how would you measure that um but it's also on a public health on a statistical widespread scale it's actually very clear that loneliness decreases lifespans and contributes to chronic illness and contributes to pain and any number like name an outcome yeah, 
people are looking at how drastically being connected to a community or even to one friend in some of these studies uh, can change the physical health outcomes. Um, and so, and I think it's really important because in like maybe in churches or uh, if you're like, like poets and people will say that we are having this loneliness crisis and we we really, it deserves our attention and it deserves us to put resources towards mm-hmm. changing the way that we live. But in our day-to-day lives and in our many political crises, that feels very like, I just, silly or utopian to imagine that there's something we can do about this and but the truth is there's all kinds of ways that we have intentionally or unintentionally designed for disconnection and there are ways that we can start to design for connection Mm -hmm. talk to me about um let's start with the disconnection piece of it talk to me about some of the some of the the systems or the things that have been designed or some of the choices that we make even even unintentionally that lead to that sense of disconnection. Yeah, my favorite example is just our the like 1950s cartoon Dick and Jane imagination of what um what like a dream house looks like. And it looks like it's surrounded by grass that looks pretty but it doesn't doesn't like belong in that ecosystem or do anything and then but more importantly it has a white picket fence around it and it like that the house and the like nice size lot contains the people within it and it also very nicely and in a very pretty sort of fashion keeps other people out um and then, and it's on a street that's designed for cars and it has a garage so you can pull your car into it. Uh, and so you don't have to bother with all the nonsense of, you know, like walking to the corner store for milk. You, you've gone to the super center and gotten your groceries and you're going to pull in your garage and it's going to be really convenient to take those groceries right in the kitchen. Of course, all of these things are convenient. All of these things uh, have advantages and um, they're also just how we're used to operating but it's even the architecture itself even the the transportation itself the design of the city itself is there for convenience or for efficiency and slowly has is is really not designed even for human bodies to be moving around in it all that much um so i i like that visualization and then i think i wonder if even you or listeners can think of things in their own lives that are like seem very unnecessarily unnecessary obstacles to connecting with your friends or knowing your neighbors or uh knowing what's happening on the other side of town um and usually those obstacles are ways that we've designed for efficiency and sort of designed out 
the human and the connection. Mm-hmm. Yeah. One, one of the things that came to my mind and it, and it goes along with your example is um, if we work in a different city than the one that which we live in too. Mm-hmm. Like I just think of people's commute times and even though it, um, I don't know. I almost want to say, I don't know if necessary evil is the right word for it because, you know, you're mm-hmm. trying to pay the bills and finding a job. But even in that, you think, okay, so I'm at this place for, you know, maybe eight hours a day and it's 30, 40, 45 minutes away, stuff like that from my house to where I want to be all that time. And yeah, that, um, that lack of integration when you really start to look, or you can, you can even say the thing, it's the same thing for churches too. You know, I'm going to go to a church that is oh, yeah. 45 minutes away or 50 minutes away because I like it more than the church that is 10, <laughs> 10 minutes away. And yeah. And yeah. Which I, which mistakes, I, the work is not very controllable, but it's the yeah. it mistakes church for this like discrete entity amongst which you choose them. And um not a not not of the church itself is not as part of the community um which you know are in christian tradition it very much is meant to be yeah. and, and we the whole idea of the parish is that the area around the church is the church in many ways is the church's responsibility and place and that the place yeah. forms the church and the as well yeah. Well, even again, just going back to like the work example or the travel example, I think it's a great example of what you're talking about with the systems too, because it's yes. not like, um, because it, it does give us some good things like it, you know, transportation, it does allow us to like travel around the world and see so many cool mm-hmm. things, even around the United States of the world. But at the same point, at some, like at some point in history, travel was so limited that you knew everybody around you, like mm-hmm. work home, church, all that stuff. It just kind of had to be together because you could go. <laughs> like it was almost like right. relation, like it forced relationship through the proximity. And it's like, well, we're stuck here. We might as well talk. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. 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 And uh, yeah. I, well, my husband and I just moved to a new state and so we were looking for a church and um, we're really uh most somewhat prioritizing places we can walk to as but it it does it makes me think a lot um the whole like church shopping experience of how much of um it's just how how much you put not even put up with you just deal with if you don't have the option and then once the options are available it quickly becomes about like what's convenient for me (laughs) Yeah. You know, you mentioned loneliness. What might be another thing or another system? Um, or, you know, as, as you know, you refer to in the title, an empire that is affecting us on our health that we may not even realize. Um, I, I think I don't, I have a fewer like research articles I can point to which slightly yeah. fewer about this. Um, but it's also so obvious our uh, environment, the um, land around us and the land 
from which our food comes and etc is real it is the material of our material existence and um we don't a lot of us don't spend a lot of time outside at all a lot of us don't know much about the ecosystem that we live in and that's understandable again um it's just most humans since we're already talking about humans in history <laughs> most yeah. humans in history had a strong sense of being made of the beings around them right um and we don't and so i i think that's the reason why we we feel that even when it's really local to us issues like pollution or climate change or um the you know deforestation feel like remote problems or spiritual problems or problems for environmentalists when in fact we don't actually know how they're affecting our bodies mm -hmm. but we know that the soil and the land or the and the water and the air and the even the living beings around us are integral to our lives and what affects them affects us and so I think about that quite a bit and I, I think worry about that quite a bit because there's so much happening that we don't even always know about <laughs> and so much that we've already lost that we don't know what we've lost um but um, of course so much still that we can save and so much we can re so it comes so naturally to rebuild that relationship with the land i think mm -hmm. because that's part of being human yeah it's part of how we talk are created to, yeah talk to me about how you wrestle with that tension of like are you still at the trying to figure out how to engage with that or are you engaging with that talk to me about what that looks like for you as it, as it pertains to creation the land all of that that's a great question i um for various reasons but including this one I have you know tried really hard to understand where my food comes from and mm -hmm. find find out what all of these labels on things in the grocery store even mean <laughs> and find out um what's going on around me in terms of agriculture what's in season around me I um trying to uh, learn how to forage, like what is edible in the forest around me that I can, I'm like lucky enough to be able to walk to here. Um, and th that's been really powerful. I would say, I don't quite know how, in terms of like politics or mm -hmm. um, directly engaging with the um, the ecosystem around me on a on a wider level i haven't figured that out yet um i have i think a lot and i'm researching a lot about poverty and i think there's uh, also a space to 
a lot of environmental things we've learned to think about as separate from social issues. And in fact, you know, environmental racism is when we dump all these things we don't want to look at onto communities of mm -hmm. color. Um, and then there's, you know, we do the same to poor communities of any kind of makeup. And um, so I would really be interested in getting involved in um, as a part of understanding and changing how poverty operates in this country, even in this part of the country here in the Southern Appalachians. Um, I think that's a huge, huge um, piece of, of both, both of these things, right? We like talk about poverty and forget to talk about the land or we talk about the environment and it's just like a bunch of the people that are upset about their hiking spot, right? <laughs> um, actually, they're they're deeply connected, and and that's really important to me. Yeah, well, I think that's even like at least for me, that's one of the big themes of your book is just realizing how integrated everything is, and we try to live as if it's so separate. Um, can you can you touch more about the environmental racism that you mentioned, and just kind of how that looks and how that plays out on itself? Sure. Um, there's, you know, all kinds of statistics you can look up about how, for instance, um, Black and Latino children are, like, far more likely now than white children to have asthma. And that's, like, mostly can be directly attributed to pollution in neighborhoods that are primarily people of color. Um, so that's just one example. I, when we talk about um, how the interstate highway system was built through all these cities and it was, you know, it's like the ammo was to find a black neighborhood and just bulldoze it uh, and scatter all those people away from their community with each other and their uh, homes that they owned sometimes and their historical place um just to build the interstate we do that with uh, we're continuing to do that all the time where is the landfill going to go well it's going to go where people are too poor and stressed to uh, go complain to the city council about it where is the factory going to be or where is it going to dump its waste where in the Place where we already don't value people's lives ultimately right um and then another well this isn't always well actually i would say sorry i'm thinking of several directions yeah several other examples yeah. um we, we got we got I the would... time so we can go down one <laughs> and then go down the other okay um you know, I haven't heard this termed environmental racism, but just simply the fact that um, indigenous people in the U.S. have been removed from their land and um, dumped often, the reservations have been dumped in, in deserts or in mm -hmm. places that people don't want to be, um, is, you know, a very clear connection between how we devalue the environment and devalue people on 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 the basis of race um and then the there's like a 
the chicken or the egg thing of like, do we dump toxins on people because they're poor or are people poor because we dump toxins on them? Um, as this cycle kind of perpetuates and that's, you know, not, uh, not just in majority black or brown communities as well, but in, in poor places, um, we've often, uh, well, I just, I just finished reading Demon Copperhead is, is the other reason I'm thinking about this. And, and it's about, uh, people in Appalachia, um, but these communities as well have been have a history of living off the land but in the process of ex of people from outside coming in to exploit that land primarily for coal um and then later for other things the people have also become impoverished and uh have also meanwhile lost the ability because the land is so um, decimated have lost the ability to continue to have that relationship with the land and continue to live from it. Mm -hmm. So that's where um, the environmental degradation contributes to poverty, and then and then they the people are so poor and so desperate. They're they the environmental degradation is allowed to continue because there are there are so few options now mm -hmm. if you want to know more about what i'm talking about just read demon copperhead yeah <laughs> <laughs> um you know i think a another um system that impacts our health quite a bit um what you talk about in the book is the healthcare system would you mind uh talk talk yeah talking to talking about that and maybe even um like going to like whenever you were first, you know, dealing with your autoimmune system and what your expectation was for what maybe you were going to hope the help was versus what you actually experienced and even just some of the stuff that you learned along the way. Oh man. Um, well, I think the healthcare system is first of all, full of people who really care about other humans and yeah. uh, care about healing I think a lot of them have also been either trapped with both trapped within and formed by a system that does not actually operate to do that healing mm -hmm. um, and doesn't operate to treat us as whole humans either. And, and so when I, I didn't, well, like you, when my body was, functioning all the time and I could just kind of keep pushing through things and not think too much about it um I didn't think about my body all that much but when I did when I got sick I was still thinking of my body as a machine uh you know if your if your blender doesn't work and it's not you know all full of computer pieces then you can find it like a new washer and and put the take the broken one out and put the working one in and fix your blender and that feels great but the, the human body doesn't work that way um and medicine western medicine is a science uh science is really good 
at solving very specific problems, usually by taking things apart. Um, to some extent that is changing, you know, like uh, many of the most exciting things science is discovering is actually about how pieces of the world are connected, um, how our gut and our brain are connected, how the many beings in a forest are connected. But traditionally, science works by separating things into as many different elements and trying to control as many of those elements as possible. Um, and so I hoped when I first walked into the doctor's office that some chemical had been discovered that would like be the magic thing and thwack everything back into order, right? Uh, like a washer, new washer in the pond. And actually, uh, what was going on in my body was that this you know, the, in, the immune system, which is itself very hard to isolate or define or describe, uh, is deeply intertwined with all these other systems. And so uh, it is part, a huge part of how your gut operates. And it's really super by um, stress hormones and sex hormones and lots of other kinds of hormones that I don't even know about. And it, uh, of course, it is also working when you get a physical injury, all of these things. There is not an immunologist, um, but they're not necessarily actually immune system doctors. Mostly what we have are like kidney doctors and heart doctors and lung doctors and um they don't often talk to each other and they don't learn about each other's deals and so it was when I started to realize that I like both me and my doctors were operating on a model of the human body that works really well to address very specific problems, mm -hmm. but that is not sufficient to um, what some, like some fields will call a wicked problem, mm -hmm. um, where there are so many different things interacting to contribute to it. Um, that was when I really started to change how I thought about my body and how I understood what it was going to require to help it function as it was trying its best to do. When we think about, you know, one way, one really simple way to put this is that like we, we say that doctors heal people. Doctors facilitate bodies healing themselves. Um, and just as a side note, you, mental health professionals facilitate our own healing that is taking place within us. And people who, even like people who um, help ecosystems regenerate are just facilitating a process that they're, they're not controlling and they're not 
pausing even. Um, they're just creating the conditions where it can do its thing that it is meant to do. And so um, I, we have a healthcare system that we think of as, you know, where people in scrubs put you on a like white piece of butcher paper and examine different parts of you. And that, and that is a really important part of a functioning healthcare system. Um, but, and I, I should, I haven't even talked about access to just that part um, and how we've politicized it, how we judge people for the ways they are and aren't able to participate in it. Um, and, you know, speaking of things that contribute to our health that we don't think about, our neighbor's health is one of those things. And yet we individualize access to healthcare and uh, moralize access to healthcare and then moralize health outcomes in ways that are really detrimental to ourselves. But um, there's that whole aspect <laughs> of this part of the healthcare system. But to me, like this, but when I think about what, what kinds of healers have helped me heal, that also includes um, acupuncturists, that also includes mental health professionals, that includes um, spiritual leaders and mentors and friends and authors of books that I don't, have never met. Um, and so when we start to think about healing as something that is much more complex than just getting in there and finding the, the least harmful drug or the one that's going to make everything better by magic, um, then we start to actually, we could have a healthcare system that is its own ecosystem of healing healing methods and healing things. Mm -hmm. I want to go yeah. back to what you mentioned. Um, they had to change how you thought about your body and you just had to make some changes as well just throughout this process. Talk to me about, you know, some of those shifts that you have to make and maybe, um, you know, how you thought about your body or how you behaved and some, you know, how you've changed your thinking and some of your actions too. Yeah, well, I've said a lot about how the body is like this very complex set of systems, and it's it's not even it's not even easy to distinguish. We think we know what a body is, but it's actually you know science is telling us more and more that um, it's very hard to separate one person's body from another's, or from or one person's body from all the bacteria that live in them, or any number of other examples like this it's very it's it's impossible to separate the body from the the mind or the brain or the emotions as well um another way that i had to change how i thought about my body though was that i when i thought about my body i thought about it as a as something to be used um and I gave the example in the book of like 
people on on Pinterest at a certain time in history. I don't know, maybe people still say this. <laughs> For a while, it was really trendy to say that strong is the new pretty, um, which felt like really nice when I was strong <laughs> and it felt really empowering. And um, it felt like, you know, yeah, what my body can do is more important than how other people judge its appearance. Like that is a step forward. <laughs> but um, when I was, when I thought of myself that way, I was still thinking of my body as something to be used and not as fundamentally containing and imbuing myself you know like uh, inseparable from myself and therefore as something to be loved something um through which i relate to other people every day something to be cherished regardless of what it can be made to do um and of course this was the same in terms of like, well, I shouldn't need more than seven hours of sleep, so I'm not going to get more than seven hours of sleep. Or uh, I should be able to do all these volunteer things and a full-time job and all these social things all the time. And so that's, that's what I'm going to do. And my body is going to carry me through it, and I'm never going to think about what she needs. Um and so that was a huge thing that had to change was um, that my body in asking, in asking me to change how I lived was not just like disappointing me by being inadequate, um, but it was protecting me and inviting me into a new way of being and of understanding ultimately my bodies and my even vocation and identity in the world as yeah. as a you know what as they say a human being and not a human doing yeah that that yeah. makes me think of um just uh, another quote that you have in the book which really spoke to me and, um, you know, I guess this goes back to one of the shifts that you talked about, too, um, is you say that you learn to make humbler promises that I will do what I can. I will ask for help when I need it. I will find a way to show up, even if it requires a little creativity. I'd love for you to just talk about um, that that shift of learning to to still be present to still show up whenever you can while still embracing the the limitations of, you know, either your body or even just time itself. Sure. Yeah. You know, well, there's, there's a, like a back and forth throughout this book and throughout what we're talking about, about like, I'm a human being, not a human doing. And I still like doing things. And I still <laughs> want to get things done. Like, and it's very important that I fulfill my responsibilities. And it's very important that I 
engage with my community and the world around me, even if it would feel easier and even if I feel like I have good reasons to just focus on myself, right? Um, and so how do we live there? Um, and so I just said, like, my body is not a resource to be exploited. And yeah. when we when we are cataloging the resources available to us to to I will I'm making humbler promises and showing up creatively, let's say, to the I don't know why this is what's coming to mind, like the church fall festival. Yeah. <laughs> um maybe I can't maybe I'm like in a terrible flare and I like physically cannot like actually sign up for any volunteer thing on the volunteer sheet. <laughs> um maybe I don't have the mental capacity to really like strategize and do all the brainstorm and do all that much in a planning meeting but is it possible that my presence there remains nevertheless a resource mm -hmm. um i think that it does i think that it contributes some things and something and sometimes we can name what that is and sometimes we can't name or measure it um but we can experience it <laughs> we can we can often these are things we some of like these what i'm talking about is like these resources that we forget to count um we there are often things that we really miss when they're missing but we can't quite name what they are or what the difference is mm -hmm. and i think the presence of each other the presence of disabled people uh, is one of those things. And so that's what I, that, yeah, that's what I mean by showing up creatively. Like sometimes showing up creatively is like showing up and laying on a couch. Yeah. <laughs> um, and then some, you know, sometimes it's doing any number of other things that uh, feel more active and feel more like real contributions, yeah. um, but they're all real contributions. Yeah. You know, I've got two of the things I want to ask you about, but before uh, I do, I always love just uh, giving people basically just the chance to talk about anything that we haven't covered. And I know that we could talk about so many other things, but anything just top of mind, you know, regarding the book or just anything that you want to make sure that we cover or mention. Oh, wow. Um, you know, I really, I just, I really like to be in the moment. So yeah, no, that's <laughs> um, yeah, and I and I think your reading of the book is is really like, okay. uh, hopeful. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, that's that's great. Okay, um, so one of one of the themes that stood out to the to me while reading the book, and we've talked about it, and alluded to it, you know, more is you talk about wholeness as well, and discovering mm -hmm. what wholeness looks like. And I'd love for you to just kind of touch on that and even expound on that a little bit of what wholeness can look like and what it is. Yeah, you know what we didn't touch on yet is Jesus. <laughs> and, oh, I was going there uh, next. <laughs> oh, okay. <laughs> so, <laughs> so either either way, we could combine the two or or whatever. 
Um, well, this is another coolness is another thing that we like sort of, you know, for convenience sake for it, it's easier to process the world when you put it into categories and we end up uh, break breaking up a binary between wholeness and brokenness or like wholeness and deficiency <laughs> and I this is like a term that I want to reclaim or that to me means wholeness as integration within ourselves and within our community and our larger ecosystem that we I don't think we are created to be isolated individuals that are perfectly put together and shiny on the outside uh we're actually created what the the wholeness we are created for is to be in these relationships and it fully alive within them and uh experiencing how dynamic they can be and they can they can change and um just like our bodies can change at any minute and that's a good thing and that's um it doesn't look like the wholeness that we think of in terms of perfection or like mathematically square or whatever um but it's a, it is a it is wholeness and um related to the the hebrew word shalom which refers it's translated peace but it refers to right relationship among things and uh this was to this these words God uses at the beginning of creation, where God says it is meod, God says it is overflowing with goodness. And that goodness is not just in each thing, you know, the fish and people and the rocks, but in the relation, the web of relationship between them. And so that is wholeness. That's what we we're created for. And I think that is what Jesus is teaching us to live into. Well, the last thing I want to ask you about is, you know, in in the midst of all this, you know, just as we were talking about, is your faith as well and God mm -hmm. and Jesus. And I would just love, just as we close, to just talk to me about um, what have you what have you learned about God? What have you learned about Jesus throughout um, through your autoimmune disease, through even just embracing limits and just everything you know, everything that you write and talk about in the book. Mm -hmm. Um. Yeah, I, you know, the biggest thing is, I think something people, lots of people say in lots of different ways, but this was the experience over several years that convinced me that God loves me for who I am and not for what I do. Mm -hmm. And all, and that God calls me to have this same love and compassion for other people that is not conditional. Um, and that is compassionate for limitation, regardless of where it comes from, right? Um, or who's supposed to be to blame for it. That there are just our being with all of our stories, with all of our struggles, with our the things we thought made us who we were that we lost um god loves that person you know mm -hmm. 
And um, I think, you know, going almost all the way back to the beginning, even to acceptance, ultimately that also taught me to live in the world. When I, for so long, I, you know, cared so much about social justice and about poverty and all these issues and, and the way that I related to them was like, this world is not good enough and we have to make a better one. Um, and I've come to a totally different relationship with what it means to heal this world, which is that this world is incredible and it's beautiful and all the people, all the people in it that we like go around in some circles saying 12 times a day that they're broken. <laughs> they have, they also already are loved and they also already are doing their best. <laughs> and yeah. um, our job is not to erase what is. Our job is to learn to dance with what is unfolding that we cannot control, but that might just be more interesting and more beautiful and um just have so much more to offer than the the fixing approach mm -hmm. i love yeah. it well i think that's a great place to wrap up Lindsay. i know that people are going to want to keep up with you and get your book my body and other crumbling empires which is a fabulous title where uh where mm -hmm. can people get the book and keep up with you yeah, I am Lindsay Medford, L-Y-N-D-S-E-Y. -E so anywhere you want to find me, if I'm there, let's, I'm just Lindsay Medford. Um, the best place to keep up with me is lindsaymedford.substack.com. And uh, if you want to get the book, you can also find it at lindsaymedford.com slash book. Awesome. Well, Lindsay, thank you so much for being on the podcast today. Thanks for doing the work and just thanks for... Uh, just a wonderful conversation. Thank you for having me. This is really awesome. I think there's two things on my reflecting of the conversation with Lindsay that, that I thought about. The first is, you know, a, a change that I've been trying to make probably for the last year and that is you know incorporating uh, different vitamins into my diet you know taking omega-3s uh, if you're not familiar with that they're just pills for heart health and it's not because anything is uh, wrong but it's just to strengthen the heart and some uh, just preventative care in that and the other one is vitamin D. And the other one is uh, just emergency, which, you know, for the longest time, I only often took whenever I was sick. And now I'm, you know, taking it pretty much every single day just to, you know, boost immune system and, and stay strong and that. And then also just exercise as well. Exercise and sleep and just trying to, trying to be a better steward of my body and paying attention to it. You know, this... Uh, you know, one of the things 
that I feel like has been a, a journey for me in the last several years is just paying more attention to my body and listening to what it's trying to tell me. This week, I, uh, you know, I feel like I'm getting in the flow at least right now. A pretty good exercise routine, and I've, you know, uh, have set my goals for how much I want to exercise. And uh, the other day, you know, I, <laughs> I woke up fully intending to go to exercise, and my body was like, "Please, you know, give me, give me a little bit of a rest from it." And there's times to push through, and there's times to rest, and this just felt like a time to rest. And just learning to pay more attention to what our body needs and treating it well and loving and caring for our body with sleep, with rest, with healthy diet, all of that. Now, the other thing that I thought about is this idea of making humbler promises that she talks about. And I find myself very much in that, you know, I'm in. I'm in the the beginning of a new season of life with new job, moving, and, uh, you know, just being married. And with that comes a lot of change and trying to figure out what am I going to commit myself to and realizing that I can't commit myself to everything. You know, everything looks like a good option right now. And, and that's because most of it is, which is, which is some of the most difficult piece of it. Because if there was just the difference between the side and the good and the bad, then that's pretty easy to tell. But when everything is good, what do you commit yourself towards? And so that's what I'm in the process of, because I don't want to bite off more than I can chew. But where I can, but where I do make commitments, I do want to show up. I do want to be present. And I want people to be able to count on me whenever I say this is my commitment. And so, yeah. So those are a couple of things that got me thinking from this conversation. If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe to my Substack, and you can continue to learn from me in all of the different ways and tools and different things that I provide there from podcasts to movies, music, you know, TV shows, you know, just all of that stuff. If you're looking for good recommendations, please check that out. And I think that's all that I have for today. I do want to say thank you to Lindsay for being on the podcast and just for for just making me think in, in, in ways that often that we don't think about. And thank you to St. Massey for, you know, creating the music for this podcast. Thank you for listening all the way to the end of the podcast. My name is Caleb Mason. And until next time, keep learning and keep growing.